Stop. everybody and welcome to another episode of middle of the road the podcast this week we are discussing or are we the 19 the 1999 film directed by david fincher starring brad pitt edward norton and helena bottom carter fight club this is this our last flashback no no there's one more flashback it's our last 99, though, I think, right? Uh, it might be. I just know we still have one of my picks for 2009 left. Yeah. I think this is our last 99 flashback. A film I would have picked, potentially, if John did not pick it for us. So I'm going to let John tell us why he picked Fight Club. Wait, did we discuss Avatar already? Oh, that's a 2009. Sorry. <laughs> but we also did. <laughs> I must have missed that one, too. Wait, go ahead. Wait, what was that again, Zach? Why did you pick this movie? My Fight Club. Great question. Yeah, so this movie, I remember seeing at a pivotal kind of point in my life. I had like what I felt like was not just like a, a solid like friend group for the first time. I felt like I had like a solid community that I was a part of for the first time in my life. I remember... Did you, when, what year is this? <sighs> so we know how long you were a loser. <laughs> um, way into high school. So either at least sophomore or junior year. Or maybe late freshman year. I No, it would have been sophomore year because we had Gildrum Jansky. And I remember, shout out to Lisa Gildrum Jansky. I remember distinctively when I saw this movie, I actually didn't see it from the beginning to the end. I saw it kind of in in the middle. I started in the middle and I was at my friend Andrew Sestola. Shout out to Andrew Sestola. I was at his house and he stopped me right before the ending reveal and paused it and was like, are you ready to have spoiled for you probably one of the greatest cinematic twists of all time? Did you immediately throw punch him? Um, I was like, no, yeah, sure. I'm invested enough. And so we watched it. And yeah, it like there's so much about this film plot wise and cinematically. That's great. But I think the thing that connected with me the most was. Um, Wait, how do, you, of- how do you spoil the ending? No, meaning like because I hadn't seen a lot of the beginning, uh-huh. we got to the ending and he paused it and was like, "Are you?" Not, he was I guess like maybe warning not spoiled, you that something like, was going to drop like, because basically. I hadn't seen the he beginning. Was like, he was implying you should have. Yeah. Like, do you want to watch the that, whole thing first? Yeah, that. Yeah, sorry, I should. I should have. But yeah, so I think the thing that I identify with most is, um, watching some of the community and the value and and seeing some of the values, um expressed in the movie and seeing how they kind of lined up with like the values that I was forming at the time and the values that I was really not just forming and thinking about because they were arguably things that I would have said I believed in since I was a younger kid but things I was actually experiencing and so um and wrestling with so things like anti-materialism and anti-materialism excuse me and um this idea of community like this bigger idea of community and like what that means to like lose identity to become part of community and i remember watching some of those early scenes with the paper street 
a soap company and Project Mayhem and watching how watching how that had grown and been like, man, is this what communism's like? That's kind of cool. <laughs> and seeing how like how connected everyone was with each other and how there was no sense of like self selfishness, I guess, or individual individualism in a negative way. And then I started thinking more and more like, hmm, is this what like the kingdom of God or like Christian community as it's been like taught to me for years on ends supposed to look like. And there's actually, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) I get where he's coming from. He's like saying that there's this idea of, okay, just a sense of community and don't take in any other factors about. Well, okay. So I, I, I need to get to like sort of the biggest criticisms that, um, or the big, the biggest criticisms of the ideologies represented in this movie. It's like if that's um, your heaven, I definitely don't want to go. But like there, there like <laughs> there's there's discussion in the book of Acts, which is like the first historical account of like the early church after Jesus was died and supposedly resurrected, and like how did that community like react to like what they were supposed to do now? And one of one of the things that I think about is a verse that says they gathered everything that they had and sold and gave to the poor and then shared what was left amongst them. And there like, there's such a strong anti-materialistic notion in that. And such a strong sense of like group over self mentality that I hadn't seen expressed really until this movie sort of now, granted there's a lot of criticisms about this movie, the narrator is arguably not a Jesus figure. And I think the reason why his whole movement like fails is because there's this notion of him coming to grips with the personal struggles that he is going through, that he finds out he shares with a lot of people and trying to find a way to overcome it. And he can't. And the only way that he can kind of come to grips with it is by going insane. And I think, I think there's a very deep spiritual, maybe thought line that you can derive from that in this idea that how do we come to grips with like the personal turmoil in our life and some of the big um, conflicts that we are, that we interact with um, when we come up against society and how society develops and how society turns into consumeristic and materialistic and individualistic and all this kind of stuff. And I think to adopt a religious point of view, I think the biggest idea is to say you can't, like humanly possible like there's there's a sense of humility that you need to have and there's a sense of direction that you need to point to something else something that's bigger than you and the reason why his movement failed was that he didn't point to something else that's bigger than him he pointed inward or he developed something from internal and i think it's i think it was a good testament to the frailty and the i don't want to say depravity but the kind of um in agency of man in order to address that problem. And so it's a, it's a movie that I come back to for those kind of lessons. And every time I would rewatch it, I would always kind of like pick up on something new, whether it was like plot wise or cinematic wise. And it's funny and it's engaging and it's grimy and it's aesthetically in terms of like the film tone and that kind of thing. It's just really, it's really well done. And I think, yeah, I think there's, now, granted, there's a huge criticism of how my demographic at that time who before, watched it. Before before we get into yeah. that, have you come across anybody else with this interpretation of this movie? Outside of my own like religious circles, probably not. I've never heard that interpretation of the movie before. 
I'm not saying it's not valid or not interesting. I'm just, you're, you're, everything that you hear about the movie is the people missing the message of, you know, wanting to bro out and yeah, we should be masculine monkey, you know, ape, near ape level human dudes who don't give a shit about anything. I don't think near ape level. I think, I think an idea of like eliminating. It's just machismo at its worst. (laughs) But I think. That's what you usually hear is like the, the movie is not promoting. Yeah, that. and it's weird because like it's, you had talked about that that's before. That's what exactly. people we took had a away conversation from it. or two about it, and like going into it, it's like I don't understand how someone could see this lifestyle as like cool because it's really fucking not. <laughs> like, well, it's... And, well, and the le- well, and that was another aspect of like the embrace of the uh, the embrace of poverty too, and I think about like old monastic culture again and like how they literally like lived in the like the worst condition or they tried to originally but yeah the latter third of this movie is the narrator critiquing and trying to take apart everything that he's done and so it's hard for me to be like how can you not how can you remove that part or just view that part as just oh haha whatever this is funny and not think of it as like no he's trying like there's a reason why he's trying to like undo all of this so why would that not be part of the messaging as well? Again, it was it was kind of frustrating to me. I'll admit when I listened to uh, 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 I hi bye lie. Yeah, here comes um, another podcast <laughs> where they essentially said this is essentially the start of the alt right, and I was like, what? That like took me by surprise, and they didn't get into a, a lot of the 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 thing that I think made me a little bit more like a lot of times they're so enlightening and I, I love how funny and uh, wise and smart they are. But I think the thing that made me stand my ground when hearing their comparisons about this movie is the fact that they didn't touch on the aspects of like anti commercialism and um, other aspect, other positive aspects of the community. And the fact that it like, again, like the, the last third is a criticism of it. Like he's trying to undo it. He's trying to rectify his mistakes and I guess, well, I guess they did also have the argument of like, well, how do you, like, if the misinterpretation of your art is more prominent than your intended message, did you make good art to begin with? And I, I don't know. I don't know. How, I guess I don't know how to grasp, grapple with that question. Well, because like, ben, like, like Ben just said, though, it's, it's, you have to be a fucking idiot. To misinterpret this, but I guess movie, that, I guess they're also saying that I don't the, think that's your fault. Yeah, I, but I guess they're also saying that's the danger, right? Like if you put out this thing, that becomes well, like I don't virally popular. I don't think you have to be. I don't think you have to be like an idiot to 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 buy into it because it's like the movie does, like John says, like for the first two thirds, it makes it out to be like it's cool, but if you take a second and just look at it, it's it's fucking disgusting and gross and just. But then the but the final yeah, act. But there are a lot of people who like this is scripture to them. But like the like John said, the last bit basically just points out exactly how that's not true. It's like it turns the thing on its it turns it all on its head. I'll say the half the last half of this movie and second half. I enjoy that way more than the first half because it's just an asshole who has a second. Um, personality who's just a bigger asshole preaching about why women suck and why paying bills is the worst 
and they fight each other about it because they have to grab their masculinity back through physicality, which is like, yay, I guess. Which, like, I get it. It's a satire, but the first half of this movie is just not <laughs> fun for me to watch as who I am. But um, plus there's just like the whole first half of this movie is just basically 90% voiceover. And I hated it. <laughs> just have conversations, people. What is happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> my critique about, with the ending is that I get that he's trying to correct everything because he finally sees that the views that he had in the early part of this movie are probably pretty problematic and he doesn't want to be a terrorist he just wants to be a dick but um, he's not punished for it at the end like I would be more satisfied at the end of this movie first of all like the girl stays with him which is a bigger issue but um, like the building he was in should have exploded and he should have died with it and I would have been okay with the ending. <laughs> or he could have, you know, like died or, you know, when shot he blew himself out the in the back head. of Tyler Durden's head, his head should have also been blown out to make that make sense, but okay. Yeah, like he shot his cheek, which yeah. was enough to kill. Like, He's metaphorically shooting which, first of all, Tyler. I know, but still. It's no, he literally like, shot himself through the cheek. Well, then, if you're going to do it metaphorically, just point the gun at Tyler. Yes. Yeah. Or do, like, a, you know, hand in Like, I mouth, still think like, it's a great boom, moment yeah, you know? when he does it. It's kind of like a looper-type moment where it's like, oh, that was pretty creative. But it's like, uh, I was just kind of fed up with this movie. Where it's like, I liked it a lot more. Um, I think I haven't seen it in, like, a decade. And I remember really enjoying it. But this time, the problem with it is the pr- the problem the same problem I had with American History X revisiting it was just Edward Norton yes but um it is happened to be his movie <laughs> no it's just fuck it's, you Edward Norton fuck you and death of these views it's satirical in this movie but it's very truthful in our reality it's like I don't want to I don't want that to be my entertainment like I'm not enjoying myself watching this movie because this is stuff I hear all the time in reality so it's just that's, not enjoyable that's fair. Uh, can i can i ask like what which one specifically like i get that it's an expression of like hyper masculinity for sure and i get how there's inherent misogyny one thing that i thought i mean was just go through the that... letterbox reviews and see how many people get triggered whenever toxic masculinity is mentioned <laughs> and and you'll understand where i'm coming from i guess yeah i i think um it was always interesting to me because I I never saw the 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 flip side of the coin where the toxic masculinity like then flipped over to like blatant misogyny as well. And I get that. Well, first of all, it was an all male club, so there's that in and of itself. Which on the and one hand that. is bad, but on the other hand, I don't want to. See, well, I guess you could just have women fighting women. It's like I definitely don't want to see men fighting women. <laughs> Because that's a whole yeah. other thing. Although, again, if it's satire, who knows? It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. Um. Basically, a lot of these guys would probably be beating up their wives if they didn't have a fight club, is how it feels. Tyler thinks they're good, the good people of the world, though. I, I, it's, which is interesting. Like, But Tyler's an idiot. <laughs> or, or, a megalo, or a megalomaniac. And, and again, it's just like the end of the movie... So the beginning of the movie is like, yeah, Tyler's right. He's, you know, these guys are good guys. But the end of the movie is basically pointing out, no, he's wrong. These people are pretty terrible. Doing but, okay, hold on. Oh, hold on. Okay, so it's like, 
this was a generation of men raised by women. I really don't think women are the answer we need. It's like, yeah, so that that was I was gonna say that's one part, um, where I'm like, oh, that's that's a blatant expression of like misogyny, um, that's not thinly veiled at all. Even though it almost comes off as like sort well, of like that. I think that's a. Um, I think those lines aren't as like those are almost detrimental to the movie because it it does it it, it feels like it wants it to look cool until the end. And lines like that, like, uh, you know, unless you have some pretty twisted worldview, like, you don't look at that and be like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's right. I mean, Republicans (laughs) do. And you got to remember, I mean, 20 years ago, this, I mean, the idea of, I I don't, like, female agency wasn't even still a very big thing. It was something still being really fought for, and not that it's not being fought for still, but... Uh, the, I, I totally could see a bunch of dudes in the late 90s feeling this way, especially men of this certain age uh, who are the, what in their late their early 30s. You know, these guys are Gen X people who were, you know, the lost generation that they say. And like he says, there's no Great Depression, no Great War. There's nothing to define them. Little did they know two years later, there was something around the corner that would change our society's outlook. I think that's an interesting way to, if nine 11 doesn't happen, what is the progression of this mindset actually move forward? Like do men, more men associate their loss of masculinity and need to, I mean, I guess they kind of did put it into, you know, a lot of people, a lot of men who might have felt emasculated pumped their hormones into, you know, anti-terror joining you know not necessarily joining up in the military but you know trying to prove how manly america is for the next fucking 10 to 15 years i don't know i think that's it's an interesting diversion there of where this idea it it, it seems like this movie was on the precipice of society starting to ask this question and then 9-11 took that energy and was able to redistribute it it's kind of scary to think maybe what would have happened if we didn't have something like that to for society to flex its masculinity again yeah thank god for no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) dark yeah i'm just glad i wasn't the one who said it (laughs) (laughs) like one thing that i think is also interesting though is that there's a lot like within the hyper the expressions of hyper masculinity and misogyny. There's a lot of that that you can directly tie to these alt right or these extremist right perspectives. But one thing that I, I think is so interesting is that, like, yeah, but at the same time, Tyler's like talking about overthrowing capitalism. Like, this is like a distinctly like leftist kind of movement in that sense as well, because it is not about capital. It is not about yeah, but the modern alt right can is just gets just as enraged with capitalistic endeavors that try to be woke and SJWs and you know. But the, the, I but that's I, I'm not saying that's what Tyler is doing. You're right. Yeah. Tyler is coming from a more left stance, but he's not going to be able to make his soap anymore when 
is all thrown like who's gonna get liposuction in a world without credit scores and stuff records <laughs> I, I mean i think on honestly i i think he's being facetious I, or i i know you're being facetious <laughs> but like i i also think like that's not his goal he wants he wants this desire to go back to a simpler time where it was there weren't as many distractions to how you could define your worth or define your meaning or value in your life and how there wasn't as much influences to just also like get you to survive or whatever or like define your survival one of the things that i love one of the lines i love is when they're looking at the like gucci or calvin klein ad or oh whatever God, the ad is moment. and they're like the li- uh, the line that brad pitt says is it's like self-improvement is masturbation now self-destruction and i remember i hosted a movie night my first year of uh, university because <laughs> That was a value or that was a idea that I identified with because so much of my religious upbringing had to do with I'd, maybe self-destruction is an extreme way of putting it. But this idea of self-denial and giving up the things that you think define you uh, or giving up like your desires. So that was that was just something that I almost felt like, again, paralleled a lot of what I what I think is a, a healthy, a healthy direction or trajectory now again like we can talk about the reasons why it was unhealthy and the reasons why it failed but i think like to say that a lot of these guys were just like also assholes i think i think you can be onto a noble thought or a noble idea and then have your own humanity like kind of get your own hands on it too much and then it gets perverted or warped and again that's the aspect of like the narrator like being insane or becoming insane and having this ego or this like expression of his like ultimate ego like warping it but i mean he was an asshole from the very beginning one of the first things he does is say like make fun of someone with testicular cancer by saying he has Mm -hmm. bitch tits i didn't i mean yeah i didn't really well, I just think I wish as... the movie had had more a disparity between the two characters because Edward Norton, in my eyes, sucks from the very beginning. And Tyler Durden isn't that far away from him in many regards. I think Tyler Durden's a far more extreme version, but see, yeah, I always, neither of yeah. them are likable. I think a lot of people like Tyler Durden. Well, see, that was a the problem. A lot of like people think, he's, I think, cool. I think he's I think he's Some funny and charming. He's dangerous and hero. he's a... <laughs> it's like He is not the hero of the movie. You know, he's clearly and the turn when you figure out that he's the villain again, it's such a it's such a powerful moment because he has a new haircut, new haircut. Who dis? <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of real at first you're just like watch it. You think it's just like this almost like this buddy film, I suppose, of these two guys doing something. And then you start to realize, oh, no, this this was the villain. This was the antagonist the entire time. Um, which makes the reveal like so powerful because they were with us this for for the entire first part. He never um, really feels like an antagonist to me because they're so linked already with who they are. It's like Edward Norton is always a dick to Helena Bonham Carter's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marla? Yes, thank you. The I think what's... I think time has made... Because I think 
Edward Norton's his character. Boss, what he put his boss through. It's like, I watch this now. When I used to watch it, I was always like, that's such a funny scene. And now I feel so bad for his boss. Because like, he <laughs> I probably still think lost it's a hilarious his job. Scene, he might have gone to, like, it, gotten, it, he could have gone to jail for that if people have truly believed he beat up someone. But okay, but then I think that's also the the part where Brad Pitt says, like, slowly you're letting go of yourself and you're becoming more and more Tyler Durden. And so I, like, I feel like I, Edward Norton previously, like, would have never imagined to say those kinds of things. I think the evolution of Edward Norton's character that we see is also the evolution of him embracing Tyler Durden more and more. Until finally he gets to a point of confusion of just like, no, you've reached a level where like, I can't buy into this and I think it's dangerous and I don't think it's, it's positive or it's progressive and I need to like push back. And then that's where the break happens. And then that's where he tries to like recuperate. Yeah, but for I mean, me, it's like Tyler Durden was always a part of him. He just finally started listening to him. So at the end of the, or like at the, end of the day, it was still him all along. No, I, I mean, I guess, I guess that's true. But then I guess... I guess that's the question then is do we define do we define someone by what they do based off their capability for bad or do we define them based off what they do for their capability for good and I feel like there are moments of redemption with Edward Norton's character when it, when the guy at the convenience store like when Tyler is holding the gun he's just like what the fuck is this this is so stupid like stop stop holding a gun to this this kid's head like there there are moments where he is an outright critique of tyler but he approves of it at the end though yeah but he also didn't further act to stop him from doing it he just no and i think and I, i think that's what's interesting was i think he has a lack of agency for a lot in fact i feel like when he starts going to the groups he starts to get some of that agency back and then when he stops, and so when he starts interacting with Tyler more, he he loses that. It's funny because when he first meets Marla, I think Marla's like way more impressive of a of a human than him. And I feel like it's hard for me to see him as like being a jerk because it's just like Marla has the higher status in every single interaction that she has with him at the beginning. Um, like she's just way more sure of herself and who she is and what she wants compared to Edward Norton, who's going through this like tension and this turmoil of like crisis yeah, of identity he's also or still, faith. He's doing the same exact thing she's doing, but you only see her as the bad person. I don't see her as a bad person at all. Well, you just said but, you can't but, critique him because she has higher status. But he does. He does view her as a parasite, and I think he even calls her he, a parasite oh, at one point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he does, and I and I, I don't know. I think that's. Well, the, the narrator is like he's he's a total hypocrite. Like he just he yeah. is, but he's he's not a redeemable person. Like he's not in the same like like Lauren said him him and Tyler him and Tyler are the same person. Like just Tyler is a less uh, restrained. Yeah, and like I don't a, know. Yeah, yeah, and he's like a more. Yeah, he's like, like everybody has everybody has these thoughts and opinions that they kind of keep deep inside. Tyler Durden is the narrator's version that just does not give a fuck about saying anything and that and doing anything. 
Like, the fact that the narrator let it go on so long that it got to the point where, you know, Meatloaf got killed. Which, by the way... Yeah, he's when the only ha- one who's punished in this movie. I feel so bad for Bob. Yeah. And, and which, by the way, when that happened, my first thought was, he probably would have done anything for love, but he should not have done that. Oh um, <laughs> I felt so bad when I thought that. But I thought it. thought it was kind of funny. Um, Speaking of irredeemable moment like, moments. I have to stop this. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's that's where you draw the line between Ty- like Tyler and the narrator. It's like they're both pretty shitty. They both really don't care about a lot of things. But I uh... but the narrator still has like some compassion for the lives of others. Which again, that's a low bar. It's like he cares about life. It's like, but John, well, yeah. just because you are uh, connecting it to this, uh, rightfully this, this religious overtones that in your personal experience, the movie is dwelling in nihilism and like they don't care about anything. Yep, and yeah. it's not crazy for people to watch the movie and think everybody. And, like, think all these people are dirtbag people. I mean, Marla is the most sympathetic character in the movie. And I, I don't know if it's just... I I want to... Every time I watch this, I feel like I want to know more and more about her. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Helena Bonham Carter is Fucking amazing in this movie. Yeah. And she... But every moment where she gets to kind of show her softer side and isn't just, like, being seen through the eyes of the narrator... She's such a more complex and interesting person that has, it, it is kind of a bummer that she stays, and I guess she's not, we don't know what happens, they hold hands at the end, but she was literally just dragged there after she never wanted to see him again, you know, like, she, hopefully she gets out, but I, I, I can see where you, you feel the pushback, but I, I think that has more to do with your interpretation well, and where what this inspired you to think about than what the movie is actually saying. Well, I think, but I think there's a, der- like, I don't know. I think this, well, first of all, I think there's also an interesting connotation with, like, mental illness and what do we, how, like, how do we then interpret, like, the presence of Tyler and, like, the actions of the narrator based on, is this DID? Is this schizophrenia? Like, what's going on? Um I don't think the movie's interested in that. It's a narrative yeah, trick. I like more had than to anything. force myself into thinking about things like that to make this movie interesting for me again. Cause like used to most people when they watch this movie always think of Tyler Durden as an aspect of Edward Norton, like he came from Edward Norton's character. Because like at one point, one of the first times you see him, it's like he's behind Edward Norton and the camera moves and there he is. So it's like very symbolic and all that stuff. But it's like, mm-hmm. to me watching it this time, I was like, what if Tyler Durden is actually the main character and the narrator is just like an internal monologue he has that he's tam- like trying to push down inside him. And like Tyler Durden's actually the real person all along and the narrator does not exist because it like I always read it or I read it that way kind of this way because Tyler Durden actually has a name, which makes mm-hmm. him more concrete to me. If that makes yeah, sense. More of a person yeah. than yeah. the narrator. Yeah. It's has like, an actual identity. Yeah, and like, I don't know. There's a line that I really liked at the end, too, where he's just like, um, well, let me find it really fast. 
flashback humor. Um, or like he just says, "You is meaningless now. We have not, or we have to forget about you." And then Edward Norton mm-hmm. says, "Your voice in my head." And Tyler Durden says, "Your voice in mine." Mm-hmm. So it's like these guys—they're just very distinct people. And I had this conversation with one of my friends. Or I brought it up to her, and she just shot me down right away. But it's like I really enjoyed thinking of it that way because it made. It was just made it interesting again for me. It's it's a unique. It's a it's a pretty cool lens to look at it through. No, I and you're not wrong that the narrator is the version of the person that has walked around most of the life. But over the course of the year or whatever this movie takes place, he gradually it, it beca- becomes. It, it becomes. We don't know whose is the voice. Like Tyler, definitely. I mean, Tyler takes over at the the changeover in the movie. Tyler has been walking around for weeks without the narrator being any the wiser to what's happening. So yeah, it, the people, the he people has become Tyler the voice in the, the head. Person. Yeah. Tyler has become the real person. He's taken over. I think that's a valid reading of the movie. So this movie was in my top five favorite movies for a long time. It's not anymore. But oh, yeah. in college, it, I legit had like a poster it, of this on my wall. Yeah. It it. It still is an amazing, fantastic movie. I don't know where I'd rank it in Fincher's movies at this point. It's probably third or fourth, I would say. What would you put above it? I mean, uh, I know, like, I'd Zodiac put seven. Zodiac th- in Social Network. I'd put seven and... I haven't seen Social Network, so I'd put seven What? Zodiac. <laughs> how, how have you not seen, seen Social Network? I've only seen parts of it, Zach. I don't know. Just haven't. It's are one you of those s- movies that you see once and you're like, yeah, that was a good movie, but I never have to see it oh. again. Oh my gosh. It, it's, it, it's Which is like a, the it's, case for most Oscar movies. But. Like Joker or something? Oh my gosh, that is not an Oscar movie. No, it's not. Like, it's one of the most it rewatchable movies of all time. Did it no, win? but I'm just saying it's not an Oscar movie. Like, no, I'm it's just not saying win. for me, King's most Oscar one. films are one I'm mm-hmm. happy to see once and then I never have to see them again. I, I understand. But it that is one of the most... It, I've turned on social network to, I, I don't know why. I was just putting on something that I knew, trying to get sleepy at like one o'clock at <laughs> night. And I watched the whole movie because it's that fucking good. And See, you have I, social network. I have pitch perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and this, but this movie is, this movie is just as rewatchable as social network. It is a filmmaking tour de force. The script, the editing, the filmmaking it's just oh, like those necessary cgi shots that, that is also like well really, that was a fincher thing, thing. I was just like did this really have to be when we were in the trash can I was like what is this <laughs> so unnecessary and it i think i read that it took like three weeks to render that and they had like an extra budget just for, or no i think it was actually it might have been the opening credits that had the extra budget for it i they think basically Panic just Room, made me think of spider-man panic room is the more example of egregious cgi man example. i always forget that that's a david fincher movie <laughs> it's also a very fun movie Panic Panic it's, Panic it's room. i haven't good. seen it in a long time though mm-hmm. it's yeah. good right it also ben, has jared ben, leto in a with a weird haircut <laughs> <laughs> um, so jared leto with a haircut you need to watch social network it's the it's in my top five of the but, decade but i don't have to watch the social network if you don't have negative opinions about oh i thought you said you had only seen part of something else everybody should see it it is so prescient for the future of facebook zuckerberg was a dick and we've known it for years but this movie is just the reason this movie was in my top five like i didn't have some wild interpretation of the movie like john did i didn't attribute my masculinity as 
oh yeah, I wish I could be Tyler Durden with this movie. I was just drawn to the filmmaking and the entertaining aspect of the film. And I think it's only gotten funnier over time because I find the absurd, like how awful I'm laughing at Edward Norton where Lauren's horrified. I'm laughing at them through the first half of the movie and the back half of the movie. Um, like I think the scene with his boss is like a brilliant, the fight scene with his boss is like an amazing piece of, uh, physical comedy like, no, by it's Norton still definitely and, hilarious but at yeah, the same time yeah, i just feel yeah. so much sympathy for the boss <laughs> now <laughs> and he makes that comment not too soon before that about going into work and shooting everyone up it's like Oof, oh my god that, that yeah that well. was that did not age well no <laughs> like, didn't this movie have a pretty not, like, not well. too far before columbine i think it was right before columbine right was Columbine like 99 or 92? It was, it was my freshman year. So it was 98, I think, actually. It was a year after Columbine. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. No, we but, don't. But, um, like, this I I have not been up on my Polinick for the last few books. But Chuck Polinick, who wrote the book that this was adapted from, I, I, I it made me a fan of him. I read all of his books whenever they came out. I've only read I, I Fight want, Club, so... I want to adapt his book Rant into a screenplay at some point. I think it'd be amazing. But the... Yeah, this... I became obsessed with Polnick and the this movie, and it made me... It turned me on to Fincher. I... I don't... I guess I probably saw Seven before I saw this. I'm not sure if I... Oh, that's weird that, that but, Seven um, came out before I, this. Huh. You know what turned me on to Fincher? Hmm. It, Alien 3. <laughs> Do you know what I just realized? I think I've uh, seen he, more species films than I have alien films. Well, that's, well, a that's not surprising. And it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, this is as bad as your pizza time. <laughs> but <laughs> in my defense, if we would have started at seven, we would have been thirty minutes. Never mind. <laughs> in your defense, I wait to eat till after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not e- in my. I'm in my defense. I'm not eating. It's cooling outside. You were also eating right before we started. Yeah, I was having a bowl of cereal. Jesus Christ, John! <laughs> <laughs> Please leave this in, Zach. Do not cut this. It's almost as bad as when you ordered pizza and it arrived while we were recording. <laughs> It wasn't pizza, wasn't it? Like those. It was that cheese it stuff thing. Yeah, the the. T- oh no! It came I had after pizza it was over. That. It came after that was we were done on that one. He gets a pass on that one. It wasn't when we were done. It was Thank like you. Thank right you, as we Zach. were finishing. <laughs> he got lucky. I'm not saying he was right. I'm just saying he was outside <laughs> the recordings that time. Uh, I timed it properly that time. I, I as as my, I rewatching it the movie though. It just it reminded me why I love this movie so much. I was just enjoying myself thoroughly, and there is well, and the level of absurdity at the end when you see Edward Norton's like flailing figure as he's running down the street trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and then Tyler Durden or excuse me, uh, Brad Pitt in the parking garage and he's making like Bruce Lee sounds and stuff like that. It's just it, it, those are culturally insensitive now, by the way. If you didn't know, no, for sure. Yeah. But, that's like, funny that it's Brad Pitt's though. in that scene with Bruce Lee and once upon a time. Yeah, it's like I will definitely what, say what that is... this movie it does win me back to an extent. Like I still, after I could say overall, I still enjoy it somewhat. Like I'd give it three and a half, three stars. But it's like mm-hmm. just like the first time. 
hour of the movie is just so just excruciating for me for some reason that it's like I can't I don't know it's just not for me anymore I also couldn't help but notice that John's review four and a half out of five my favorite film wait how does you get four and a half stars and it's your favorite movie like as opposed to five I don't know I feel like (laughs) what does it take to be a five star movie like I don't know there's Um, how black swan sexy (laughs) (laughs) if I if I could write a specific scene in all of cinema no um like there are films where I like I watch and they like hit me on like such an emotional and like intellectual and just kind of like soul level which this movie did to a certain degree but like I think of, like, The Farewell, like, if we were talking about, like, current movies, like, The Farewell was incredible, um, but it's, but it's not, like, a film that I would come back to over and over and over again, and so I feel like, like, the ideal is a film that has so much oomph and so much, like, emotional weight behind it that it just, like, it leaves an impression on you from, the minute you sit down to the minute you leave the theater or you leave it or it turns off or whatever, but then also one you can come back to. Um, and fight club is a movie that I can come back to for sure, but it's, it's, there's an aspect of it that is kind of like, I don't want to say mainstream, but like not. Oh, he would, Tyler Durden would definitely be doing all those YouTube things these days where you're like licking food and putting it back and, Mm-hmm. Who does that? I uh, I don't think you'd be doing something like that. Oh no, that, he'd be peeing in it and then putting yeah, it back. He literally masturbates no, that, into guess, the clown no, I guess chatter. that's fair. No. Yeah. I guess that's fair. But he I literally is a like... sex offender. <laughs> so or a predator or <laughs> I, something. He'd be on lists. I think there's also an aspect of that that's about like class warfare, and that's another part where I I mean I get like I I find like super like I guess I guess you can think of it as like beyond political spectrum but i find more leftist than i do rightist this idea that like 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 this idea of eat the rich or fuck the rich like it's i don't know i find more people like when you think about the people who are like angry about that and like doing something about it today it's not um as dave Chappelle would use the term the tiki torch whites it's not the like impoverished and like institutionally oppressed um poor from like rural counties or like yeah but this was like tyler durden trying to blame somebody for his boredom this wasn't actual uh, unrest over inequality you know i mean i i don't think the movie talks enough to like to all of a sudden to have like the plan be let's reset the credit to zero for everybody it there's not a lot of attention paid to that mindset I'm... in the movie I'm not sure because I feel like there is I feel I've I I perceived and interpreted that theme going throughout like and when you talk about a lot of the people who are in Fight Club it's a lot of people who are working like blue collar or like uh like regular jobs or like jobs that maybe don't necessarily allow for a lot of social elevation um and so I I definitely got a classist um, message from 
from this from the beginning as well. I mean, I'm not saying it's not in there. I'm not. I'm just saying like it does come out a little bit out of left field where they're like, we're just going to get rid of everybody's debt. You know, I, I don't know. They don't yeah, really discuss like, the master plan. It's just a it bunch just, of whiny happens. bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think like in all, like I think they've got, again, I don't think they're going about it in the proper way, but I think consumerism and materialism and um, income inequality is something that is a huge issue and is is something that I probably wouldn't have been as open to in my later years as an adult in terms of like really um but this movie's not wrestling med- with it meditating S- society was barely wrestling with it at this point like it's gotten so much worse since this movie came out like I could oh, see the sure. I could see the version yeah. of this movie made today could definitely grab onto that and run wild with it but I I don't think it's there I, I don't know I feel like this movie is much more about masculinity than classism. It, 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 it pays lip service to classism. I'm, it dives into toxic masculinity aspects of the film. I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it's both. I think the masculinity and the expression of hyper masculinity is a way that Tyler Durden teaches the narrator to, like, if I had more money, I'd feel like that. my dick was bigger. Is that like, is that what we're trying to say? Like, if we weren't being pressed down, like, the money makes you feel more masculine. Like, the movie doesn't talk no, no, about no. that. But I, I think that's an no, angle no, that you could definitely bring up with this movie, but it, it doesn't go there. No, I'm saying I'm saying that's a critique of it, this idea that money is providing, like, sort of the worth and the means of oppression of people who are in, quote-unquote, lower valued jobs or but like i just think this movie doesn't do a good enough job because like none of these people as far as we know are oppressed they're just bored with their lives i think no i think there's an i think there's a strong indication that they're all in kind of lower quality no, jobs. They, it explicitly he works like, in an I mean, office like he's a, you know, the average sure, joe like, is who he is no for sure and i think i think there's an argument that you can make towards that unrest between that person and just it's like it's like if the people in the office started a fight club i mean john we're not no no, not we're not disagreeing with you john that it's it's the film definitely like i said the film pays lip service to what you're talking about it does not dig into it though like you you can make those connections but i think that is you doing the work not the movie i i mean i don't know i disagree i think and i think it's inherent with like you talk about the guy who is a maitre d' at the food court and the guy who works in the mailroom and the guy who's like uh, works in a car wash or like an auto body shop or something like that. I think there's a there's a definite sense of there are these people who are gaining who even in like, quote unquote, like middle class, like status. 20 years, 20 years ago, these people are a more traditional middle class, though. I think the context of the when the film was released, these guys don't have it that bad. <laughs> they they might have thought they had it bad then, but they have it a lot fucking worse now. You know, it's oh no, I oh I I mean I won't argue with you then mm-hmm. with it on that. I think I think it plays closer to they're just bored with their fucking lives because they're they didn't get what they were told and sold, which is a 
interesting con- like i think that's one of my favorite lines in the movie too about tyler's the they were sold the american dream i think that was actually a little ahead of its time because you when when people of our age roll start rolling out of college you know 2006 2007 2008 you know we were released into a world where the world had changed where jobs weren't as readily available where the gig economy and internships is how you had to spend half your 20s potentially where you know like that wasn't what was happening in the late 90s and plus they could have also just worked in a few more people of color you know yeah well well but i think that's that's also part of the point i think is this is also that's why i'm saying there's just a bunch of whiny guys because it's like there's so many people that probably have it way worse than these guys i think that is intentional and adds credence to the idea that this is more about white boredom than it is classist uprising I mean, I'm not sure if that's necessary. I mean, you don't because there have are to like tell us everything we say is wrong, Chuck. <laughs> oh, it's okay. No, I, I'm just, I'm just taking the devil's advocate for the for the movie's sake because I think they do include. Now, granted, there is a significant lack of diversity for sure, but they they are included to the point where you're, where you're like, okay, well, I guess there are people of color and men of color who are included in this. Who Frankly, is not the? Only, I think who, there was right, one black man in the group. Isn't the black cop that at the when they are going to cut Edward Norton's balls off? I, that's the only person of color I could think of. I feel like I ra- saw one other random person when they did like went through the kitchen at some point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no prominent people other than white men. There's the guy. There's the guy who first also beats the shit out of a. Uh, oh yeah, there. Norton as yeah, well. there's a black guy. He fights the black guy at one point. Okay, well, still. One person mm. is not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that also, you know, I'm I'm counterbalancing John with saying, well, this was 1999. I mean, people of color, sadly, 20 years ago, people of color weren't put in movies nearly as frequently yeah, as they should I mean, be either. Julia so. Roberts was going to play... Harry, who is she playing Harry Tubman? Oh my god, that was <laughs> so ridiculous. The fact that that almost happened is just incredible. But not I don't shocking. Think, but I don't think it almost <laughs> happened though, right? Like, I think it was suggested and someone's just like, you're a fucking moron. The fact that someone suggested that, like, <laughs> yeah. in seriousness, like... I... People are dumb. Does anybody have anything else on Fight Club? Yeah, are we all in trouble because we broke the first and second rules? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, listener, Ben's been holding on to that one for 55 minutes. Well, that's because we couldn't get a word in edgewise. No, <laughs> it's my favorite movie still. Four, Four and a half out of five. <laughs> John only likes it slightly more than I do, but it's his favorite film of all time. That's going to do it for Fight Club. Um, and I guess 1999 in our flashback series. Peter Jackson uh, almost directed this. Just throwing that out there. Interesting. That could have been a good movie. Um, but then we would have got Lord of the Rings, so that would have been sad. Instead of, instead of Brad Pitt, uh, it would have been... Uh, oh, no, the better one Lloyd. is that after him, the next choice was Brian Singer. <laughs> I think Russell Crowe was once going to be Brad Pitt's character or someone. I'm trying to remember. I read through some of these casting things. Like Sarah Michelle Gellar was going to be, um, Marla. what was her name again? Marla. Marla. <laughs> yeah. That, that would have been weird. really uncomfortable too, because like 
99 she was like in playing i think buffy started in 96 or 97 so what, i actually so it's like a high school I age and she was person. coming off of her best performance of all time which is in you know i know what you did last Scooby Doo. <laughs> no scooby-doo oh, okay. i don't think had it happened yet um i actually i think she could have done it but helena bottom it would have been way more uncomfortable had job. they cast someone who was much younger i cannot picture okay. anybody else in any of the roles in the three roles in the no me neither they're all perfectly they landed on the absolute perfect people yeah and the performances are a large reason why i don't hate this movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so next week we are doing a new release and that is ryan johnson's knives out yeah, next week. It is his fifth film, his follow-up to Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Um, it's a Agatha Christie-style whodunit, or is it? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, it stars Daniel Craig. Uh, what's her name? Alexa? Is was it? Ana Alex? de Armas, I think. Ana de Armas, yeah, Ana de Armas. Uh, Chris Evans. Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Noah Segan. That was all off the top uh, of my head, guys. What's the, what's the, she's the sister in, um, the, I don't watch the, the show, Gemstones. I don't watch. Well, you know her name, goddammit. In uh, which movie? The Righteous Gemstones. She's also in, uh, she oh, was I don't know her name. show about suicide. That girl? The 13, I was thinking about the girl. Catherine Langford. No, yeah, no. You're, no, oh, well, but she you're talking yes. about. Um, I was talking the, about. You the, mean the the future Morgan Stark, the maid? Um, Who played uh, the Nazi boy? Oh, his that name. was Bill. Uh, that was yeah, Bill. Bill from uh, It. Oh, that's right. That's why he looks so familiar. James, James McAvoy in his greatest role. <laughs> James McAvoy. <laughs> So yeah, we're all big Ryan Johnson fans here, and Jaden um, Martell is his name. This will be we've reviewed every one of his films. Mini, on this mini James McAvoy, Edie Patterson, Edie Patterson. There you go. She's good. I like her. She was. I haven't seen Righteous Gemstones, but she was great oh, in Vice dude, Principles. You need. To, she's even better in Righteous Gemstones. Like head over heels, or head above shoulders. Yeah, okay. that one. Um. Until then, <laughs> I'm Zach Oldenburg. You can find me wherever you can find at Zach Oldenburg. You can find us at middleofrow.com. I'm Ben Grigsby. You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at the Grigsby Bear. And you can follow all of us on Facebook at Middle of the Row. I'm Jonathan Rahul. You can follow me on Twitter at Another Rahul J. You can also follow us on Twitter at Middle of Row. And I'm Lauren Heimbaugh. You can find me on Twitter at Beware of Trees, and you can find us on Tumblr at middleofrow.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening. Go watch Knives Out. And remember, the best seats are in the middle of the row.